0: worried writer helping you to overcome fear self-doubt and procrastination to get the work done i'm your host sarah painter and i'm a novelist and self-confessed worried writer for show notes resources and much more please head to worriedwriter.com and now on with the show welcome to episode 50 of The Worried Writer. I'm recording this on Friday the 29th of March 2019 and I cannot believe it has been over four years since I started this podcast. Thank you so much for listening and if you've been listening for a while or have ever tweeted about the show or sent me a message or asked a question or recommended the podcast to a friend, Please know that you are the reason I have made it this far. This podcast has been life-changing for me. I feel more confident than I did when I started, and the conversations I have had with other authors have helped me to refine my own working process and to feel less alone and weird in my self-doubt. That's the key, really. I am still as filled with self-doubt and fear as I was before, but I'm now solidly aware that it's completely normal and an occupational hazard of this profession. Whereas I used to feel that my various neuroses and tendency to procrastinate meant that I just wasn't cut out to be a writer. Now I know for sure that it's part and parcel of creating new things in the world. And while there is a variety of experiences and intensity, we all feel it to some degree. I've also made lots of new writing friends and feel more part of the writing community than I did before. The main thing, however, has been the satisfaction I get from helping others. It means the world to me to hear that I've helped another writer feel less alone or to gain a wee bit of motivation. On Joanna Penn's Creative Pen Podcast this week, um, there was a guest called Damon Swade and his book Verbalise. They were talking about the importance of language and at one point, Damon said that he had come up with some verbs to describe himself in his professional capacity. As soon as he said that, I started to think about what my words would be. Joanna must have been doing the exact same thing because she ended her show by saying that her word would be create. Now that's a great one, and definitely one that my Sarah Painter side would have. But thinking about this podcast and the worried writer side of what I do, I came up with comfort. I hope that I inspire and enthuse and energise people. But I do think that there are plenty of folk who do that better than I do. Ultimately, I want you to feel comforted. To know that I empathise with your writing struggles, that I battle them myself, but also that we can do this thing. It is hard, and it is wonderful, and through learning more about ourselves and our own particular processes and strengths, and by being kind to ourselves, we can do it, and we can succeed. Today's show is a Just Me episode. I haven't done one for a while, and I thought it would be fitting for my 50th Also, I've had a few questions recently eh, from my lovely patrons, but I think that they would be widely useful, and my kind patrons have said that they are happy for their questions to be answered on this show so that everyone can benefit. Before I get to those, a huge thank you to my supporters on Patreon. While I wouldn't have got to year three without the amazing feedback and support of our little podcast community, I definitely would not have got to this point without my Patreon supporters. Knowing that you value the show so much that you are willing to support it financially is huge. I really can't articulate how big a deal it is to me. Thank you to new patron, JD, and thank you to Alyssa McCall for upping your pledge and becoming a gold-level patron. Thank you. If you would like to support the show for just $2 a month, you can get the patron-only audio extra in the middle of every month, as well as access to the backlist of 13 extras. Just head to patreon.com forward slash Writer, and that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. A quick writing update before I get to the questions. Having written the end on the second Crow Investigations book, I then immediately went back to work on making it a proper, readable draft. As long-time listeners know, my first drafts are so awful, I call them zero drafts instead. This month, I got to the end on something I would consider a proper draft. It's still going to need editing and so on, but it's a readable draft which I have given to my husband, who, handily enough, is my first reader. I'm a bit behind where I'd like to be at this point, but I will make my planned publishing month of May. It's just likely that it will be at the end of May, rather than the beginning. In other news, I revealed the cover and the title to my Sarah Painter Readers Club, and have had some lovely feedback, which feels brilliant and is very reassuring. If you're interested, the book is called The Silver Mark, and I will put the cover in the show notes. My designer has done another fantastic job, and I'm absolutely thrilled. For those interested in how running a hybrid career works, I thought I would also share that The Night Raven was chosen for a Kindle daily deal this month, which I was thrilled about, and it went very well. I grabbed my screenshots of The Night Raven with the orange bestseller flag and topping a few category charts. Now, I'm mentioning this not to boast, um, but to reassure you that these kinds of deals are still available and possible even when the book is independently published. Also, a few days later, I was contacted by a prominent audiobook publisher to inquire about the audio rights for The Night Raven and The Lost Girls. Now, my agent was already in talks with another publisher for these rights, and it's too soon for me to share any definite news, but I just wanted to let you know, as a demonstration again, that going hybrid is possible. It really isn't a case of indie publishing or traditional. You can do both. And independently publishing a book doesn't mean you won't be able to license the subsidiary rights to traditional companies too, if you so wish. As you know, I just get so excited by the possibilities and opportunities that we have. It really is such a fantastic time to be a writer and I'm so grateful. On to the first listener question. This is from lovely patron Liz and it's about dialogue. Liz wrote, What's the approach you take when writing dialogue? Do you have any hints or tips? I ask as I find that I tend to get bogged down in dialogue when writing a conversation, and I think I tend to overwrite and struggle with when and how to stop. This is a great question and I know a lot of people do struggle with writing dialogue. Um, Quite often it's something that people really don't like doing. Now I'm the opposite. I love writing dialogue. I can end up with pages and pages of the stuff during first drafts, and it's the one thing I usually have to cut back on during revisions. So first off, I would say don't worry about getting bogged down and overwriting the conversations during the first draft. You will be revising it later anyway, when you can cut it back. Secondly, I do have a few tips. When you go back over your dialogue, read it out loud. Now, this is an excellent way to make sure it sounds like people speaking. Actually, that reminds me, I want to clarify something. Reading your dialogue out loud is useful because, much like reading any prose out loud, it gives you another way to experience the words and will help you to revise for flow and voice and word choice and for the rhythm of your punctuation. However, when writing dialogue, you are aiming to create the illusion of real speech, not to faithfully transcribe the way people actually speak. Real speech is full of redundancies, ums, ahs, filler words, and so on. And it also tends to be verbose. So how to create the illusion of dialogue? Here are a few things to look at. Not saying the thing they mean or are thinking. So, This is true in life and it makes for interesting dialogue and conflict in a scene um, and sort of a more layered, real feeling experience. Characters and people don't always say the thing that they mean or are thinking. So when you look at your dialogue, be alert for places where your characters are being constantly honest and literal. So think about how communication actually happens. For example, a character might say, I'm fine and look away, rather than saying, I'm feeling a bit upset with you right now. I hope that makes sense. Another thing to look at is, conversation is not a tennis match, with the same ball being faithfully lobbed back and forth. People don't always answer the question asked. They don't always understand, or even listen to the other person. Incorporate this kind of disjointed exchange where appropriate. Make character voices distinct. So this is where reading out loud is particularly useful. M. You don't have to write out accents phonetically, but word choice, phrasing and word order and punctuation can and should vary. Use contractions and non-standard grammar in speech. In other words, I'm and you've rather than you have and I am. Finally, study dialogue you love in books. So when you're reading and you're thinking that the dialogue is particularly well done, go back and really study what the author did. Also, watching TV and films with great dialogue um, is also super. And we're very lucky we've got an absolute abundance of great uh, TV and film writing around these days. So listen out for it or watch out for it. I actually used to read TV and film scripts for this as well. If there was something I particularly liked or I thought was particularly skillful, I would track down the script and read it. Thank you again for the question, Liz. I really do hope that helps. If you've got any follow-up questions or if that wasn't clear, please do get back in touch. The next question is from Lucinda. Thank you, Lucinda. I would be interested to know where you list out your annual goals, your daily word count goals and any other goals that you create to help motivate you to write. Are they in a notebook that you keep open on your desk or up on the wall or what? And do you use different coloured pens, different notebooks uh, where you keep track of the goals, etc.? Thank you so much for this question, Lucinda. Um, You know because I emailed you about it um, that this is so, so up my street. You're asking me about stationery, which is very much my happy place. As you can imagine, I have tried so many methods for goal tracking over the years. And something i found is that when I have put things in, say, a Word document um, or in a special notebook, for example, I tried bullet journaling um, for about a year, and it's very easy then to sort of forget about them. They are tucked away, out of sight, out of mind. I'm also, as mentioned, a complete stationary addict and so I generally gravitate towards methods involving paper and pens, really any excuse. I have tried organisational apps such as Asana, which is a project management tool, um, and an app called WordKeeper, which I will put a link to in the show notes. I think it is absolutely excellent. It is for word count goal setting and tracking, but I found that I just stopped logging in and looking at it. Even though WordKeeper was on my phone and I look at my phone a lot, I somehow still managed to just not open that app after a little while of using it. Also for me, there is something about physically writing things down which suits my brain and makes goals and targets feel properly real and tangible. For the last few years, I've used a Moleskine Business Planner Diary uh, with a vertical layout for the days of the week uh, so that I could time block and write a daily to-do list all within the, the weekly spread. I was also using a separate diary for my personal life stuff, which meant that I kept my business and my writing stuff separate, but often had to write appointments down twice. Now, I was a wee bit wary about combining them because I didn't want to feel overwhelmed by everything. But having two diaries, writing things down twice, tracking in one, not always looking at it. So for all of those reasons, I thought I would try using one planner this year. So my current method, 2019, is a passion planner. And so far, I absolutely love it. It's got a really attractive... um bluey green cover, which is one of my favourite colours. It opens flat, which for people who love planners and stationery, sorry, I get very excited, but it's very important. The paper is very good and you don't get too much ghosting, which is when you're using ink and you can't really see it on the other side. It doesn't bleed through and it has the vertical layout, a sort of a weekly plan that I can look at the week as a whole, but with um, vertical Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which is my preferred method. I like to have plenty of space going down the page so that I can block in um, different activities, I can put in appointments, and I can also use the bottom of it um, for a sort of daily to-do list. It's also got other spaces for work to-dos, personal to-dos, and a lovely big uh, free writing space which I have been using to list my daily word count total. Um, Now, this means that every single time I look in my diary, which is every day, I see my word count. I also, of course, have my targets and things written down. And that means I don't I don't forget about them, they're there. I'm very much a belt and braces person though, uh, so I do also have things stuck up on my wall, um, around my desk, around the office. I've got a pin board, which has got various schedules and things. As I mentioned, the planner is a good quality and pretty, which is really important to me, and it makes me want to use it. And I use washi tape and nice markers, I use some zebra mildline markers, I believe they're called, and my beloved Stabilo fine liners and stickers to make it even more enjoyable, to really reward myself for using it, essentially. So that's my daily and weekly goal setting and tracking. Now, the planner also has a monthly spread, which I use to set goals for the month and to fill in deadlines and really important dates so that I can see the shape of the month at a glance. I also write down my annual goals in a Word document to brainstorm and then I sort of put them nicely. (laughs) I write them out with my best handwriting in the blank pages at the back of my physical planner. Now, there would be a danger that those would simply get lost, um, partly because 12 months is a long time to look ahead. And also, Word documents and the back of the planner are places that you can lose things or or forget to look. So, this year, uh, now that my husband is working on Siskin Press with me one day a week, which is great... I now have a whiteboard in the office. So on this, we have drawn three columns and listed the company and writing goals for the quarter in the first column. So when they're being worked on, they get moved to the middle column. And when they're completed, they move to the final column. And this is a really nice visual representation of what we need to do and very importantly, what we've achieved. The last question for today is from Sabrina. Sabrina wrote, I struggle with sharing my work with others, except for close family and friends, not only because I'm worried about negative feedback, but because I fear someone may steal my idea. How does a writer protect his or her work when shared with others in an online forum or workshop? Thank you so much for the question, Sabrina. Um, This is a very common worry amongst beginning writers, Um, so I'm really glad you asked it because I know lots of people do worry about this. The truth is, ideas are everywhere, ideas cannot be copyrighted, and essentially, ideas are worthless. There are only so many story ideas in the world, the chances are, somebody else has already had the exact same idea as you, as they swim up from our shared cultural and societal and biological experience. What matters, what is unique and special and belongs to you in both a moral and legal sense is the expression of that idea. When you have turned your idea or ideas into a finished piece of art, a story or a novel or a play, that is the valuable artefact. It's also worth remembering that writers usually have plenty of ideas of their own. They aren't looking to steal yours. And if they did, The finished expression of that idea would be completely different. You and I could both write novels based on the same set of ideas, the same basic plot even, and they would turn out as distinct and unique pieces. In a practical sense, if you're sharing extracts of your work, somebody stealing that extract would have to write the whole rest of the novel matching your style. With no guarantee of financial remuneration, It's very, very hard to imagine why somebody would do that. It would be far easier for them to write their own book. It's also worth remembering that readers don't fall in love with ideas. They don't fall in love with an idea of a book. They fall. They might come to a book because they think it's an intriguing idea, but they fall in love with the writer's voice, the expression of that idea. And that is what you can build a writing career on. I do hope that that's reassuring. I do understand um, your fears, but it really isn't worth worrying about. If you've got a question that you would like answered on the show, do email me, Sarah at worriedwriter.com or find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter. You can also head to the show notes for this episode at worriedwriter.com episode 50 and leave a comment or question there. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting the show, whether on Patreon or through sharing, subscribing, rating or reviewing the podcast. Every time you recommend the show to another writer or share it on social media, you are helping to spread the word and I really appreciate it. Just a quick shout out to some lovely folk on Twitter. Karen Heenan, who's at Karen underscore Heenan. Karen said the podcast is like eavesdropping on a really good conversation at a coffee shop. Thank you, Karen. Liz Otterson, who is at Liza underscore Bell. Amelia Zeeland, who is at Amelia Writes. And past guest of the show, Annie Lyons, who is at One Annie Lyons. And finally, Heather Critchlow, who is at h underscore critchlow speaking about the last episode heather said brilliant edition of the worried writer podcast especially the reassuring first draft tips from kate writes books thank you so much heather well that's it for this month i've got some great interviews to share over the coming episodes and i'm always open to suggestions for the show if you've got a topic you'd like covered please do let me know I hope you have a wonderful month of writing and I will see you next time. Thanks for listening today. For show notes and links, head to worriedwriter.com. If you'd like to connect, find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter or use the hashtag worriedwriter. See you next time.